and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up, rise up, rise up. Good evening, everybody, and welcome once again to the Midnight Ride. My name is David Carrico, and it is my great privilege to welcome each and every one of you into the Puritan Rard once again for the Midnight Ride with myself and John Pounders. Tonight, the mystery of the six names of Solomon. This is going to be an investigation into the things of God and the deeper mysteries and a revelation and an exposure of the things of the evil one. And it's all going to turn out with a big lesson for us on how to draw closer to the master. So get ready. It all starts right now because we are now. Live, live, live. What's up, guys? We're here tonight once again, like David said, in the Puritan Barn. And we're excited to be here. We're excited that you were here to join us. We always love to hear where you guys are from. So if you're in the chat, let us know where you're at. And if you're on the comments and you're watching this later, uh, let us know where you're at. We, we'd love to hear those things. It's just amazing that there's so many people all around the world uh, that are interested in the same things we're interested in. It's, not, it's hard to find locally sometimes, but you see nationally and internationally that it's just everywhere, right? And so we're so excited for that. Um, David, how's your week been so far? It has been very good. A lot of battles, but a lot of victories. And we're just so thankful. And it is just a great honor to be able to speak and minister to the Israel of God all over the earth. And on our last printout of our Friday night broadcast on FOJC, 25% of our listeners are now from outside of the United States. It's amazing how many people we have listening to, and I imagine it might be pretty close to that on the midnight ride. Many people from all over the earth, and we welcome you in Jesus' name to the great big family called the Israel of God. That's right. And uh, tonight I just want to make you guys aware, uh, we don't do this every show, but I want to make you guys aware that we do have other shows going on during the week as well. Uh, tomorrow, their FOJC over on Rumble will be streaming. Um, I believe it's, is this 8 o'clock, John? 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Yeah. Central Time. Uh, also, before that, Breaking Babylon over on the Breaking Babylon YouTube channel will be streaming at 6 o'clock Central um also throughout the week we have other things going on cutting edge is no longer on youtube they are on rumble now um so make sure you guys check out cutting edge as well and uh so just want to make that clear so you guys know where everything's at know how to get there i try to post as much as i can here on youtube on the social um posts on here but i for, i'm i hate social media i hate uh technology in general almost i, I carry my phone around very little you'd be surprised for a social media guy how little I like to have my phone on me. So uh, I apologize for that. But um, one uh, before we get started tonight, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, I want to give a shout out to nystv.org, which is our website. And on that website, you can find exclusive content that you will not find anywhere else. Documentaries, Book of Enoch video commentary that myself and David are going through the entire Book of Enoch and going through it and adding commentary uh, checking um, scriptures, lining up. It's really, really awesome. Um, and also stuff that's too hot for YouTube. And you can uh, get $8.99 off of your first month with the coupon code RIDER when you check out out there. So check that out. FOJC Radio, David and Donna's uh, channel on or their website has 40-plus years of cumulative research and different things that they've done, uh, podcasts that they've done on their on their website. Make sure you guys check that out. Um, we also have Sugar and Spice Soap uh, Company, where you guys can get all natural soaps, beautiful soaps, beautiful beard balms, 
Uh, this is the beer bombs I use. I know some of you hate my beard and some of you love it, but if you like beards, you definitely would like that. But uh, if you're like me, you don't like to rub toxic things on your body. You like to check out the things you're putting inside your body, the things you're eating, the things you're rubbing on your skin. And with sugar and spice soap, they use all natural great ingredients that you don't have to worry about those things. So you can also have a coupon code NYSTV gets you 10% off of any order that you have. They even have midnight ride soaps that you guys can check out on there. Also Watts leather, uh, custom leather, just amazing custom leather pieces. Like you can get these just beautiful book covers for your books that just make it look like you pulled it straight out of an ancient library. Just amazing stuff. You have bracelets. Um, you have uh, just anything custom that you can think of that's made out of leather. Joshua can pretty much do it, and he, he's done a lot for you guys already. So with that being said, that's all I got. David, you got anything that I didn't think about to add? Well, I think it's just about time to ride. Well, let's do it, man. Let's hop up on the horse and giddy up and go, man. Let's do it. All right. Our study for this evening is entitled The Six Names of Solomon. And this is such a profound thing. And I was reading the Companion Bible uh, by Bullinger. And it's a book that has a lot of information in it. But buyer beware, Bullinger was an ultra-dispensationalist, so you don't want to buy into all of Mr. Bullinger's theology. But he said something there that really caught my attention, and he mentioned the fact that Solomon had six names that were mentioned in Scripture. And those six names are given here, and this is totally unique of uh, he was called Solomon, Jedediah, Kohaleth, the son of Jakeh, Argur, and Lemuel. Now, this is totally unique. You know, I mean, nobody else has six names in the Bible. And everything in the Word of God is there for reason. And I begin to uh, study as I do and look. And this was something that not only Mr. Bullinger believed, but many Bible scholars have believed and confirmed Indeed, that Solomon had six names. Now, this is very unique, and the number six just kind of raises a little bit of apprehension, doesn't it? It's the number of man. And in Revelation chapter 13 and 18, here is wisdom. And you know, it's interesting that all of the books that are attributed to Solomon's scripture, we have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalm, Psalm of Solomon, or excuse me, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and uh, canticles the song of solomon and these are called the wisdom literature and here the book of revelation says here is wisdom is that a pointer let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is six hundred three score and six so it's got to make you wonder solomon the author of the wisdom literature uh six names Here's wisdom, count the number of the beast. We might have something here, mightn't we? But the number six and the number 666 are all over Solomon in Scripture. In 1 Kings 10, 14, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold, 666. That might be a clue, mightn't it? Very obvious. And in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 16, and King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into one target. Sixes are everywhere. And it's just like this fella is being marked. You know, Scripture is letting us know. He's got six names. He's got sixes all over him. There's something about this guy we need to look at. In 1 Kings chapter 10, beginning at verse 18, moreover, the king made... A great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold the throne had six steps and the top of the throne was round behind and there were stays on either side of the place of the seat and two lions stood behind beside the stays and twelve lions stood there on the one side and on the other upon the six steps there was not the like made in any kingdom and there's number there's number six the number 13 all kinds of bad numbers are all over this guy. Now, this is a sigil, a magical sigil, that was drawn by Eliphas Levi. 
Mr. Levi was a defrocked Catholic priest, and he was a, a black magician. He believed himself to be the reincarnation. No, Aleister Crowley believed that he was the reincarnation of Eliphas Levi. His books, Transcendental Magic and the History of Magic, are black magic textbooks. Uh, he's one of the big guys. Now, this, the, what we call the Seal of Solomon is the six-pointed star, the hexagram. People today, uh, very unwisely, they believe that the Seal of Solomon, the hexagram, is the star of David. It is not. And here we see that there is a kindly white face up on top, and there's an evil-looking black face down on the bottom. Now, there's a white triangle and a black triangle interlaced. There are three white points to the triangle, and there are three black points on the triangle. And this symbolism is the three, there are three names that are names of blessing of Solomon. And there are three names that are names of rebuke and apostasy. Now, in this symbol, we see the snake swallowing its tail. This is explicitly explained in Morals and Dogma, in the writings of Madame Blavatsky, and in the writings of Manly P. Hall, and in a book published by the Scottish Rite called Bridge to Light as the Holy Ghost. Now, we know from Scripture that there's only one unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. What I believe that this symbol represents as drawn by the Luciferians is that Solomon is the poster boy for apostasy. He is the man. One thing we all need to realize, Satan wants to take our soul. He wants each and every child of God to turn to him and lose their soul. We need to be aware of that because he is a very powerful and he's a very intelligent entity. So what we have here, this is the occult representation of Solomon. It's the seal of Solomon. There are, there's the dual nature. He was the man that could worship God and worship the devil at the same time. And the fact that there's the uh, snake swallowing its tail, this is blasphemy to even portray the Holy Spirit like that. I believe that that's their understanding that Solomon blasphemed the Holy Ghost. He's the poster boy for apostasy. And I think this is the deep meaning. And I think that the, the six points on the uh, seal of Solomon and the three the three black points, the three white points, that these are relating to the three good names and the three bad names of Solomon that we find in Scripture. It's interesting, too, at that point in the middle there, behind the beards, you see this cross. And, you know, I've been looking at a lot of this cross symbolism throughout the years, even pre-Roman civilization, but there's like it almost looks like a Maltese-type um, cross there. You see, I don't know if you can see that, David, but there's, the two it's a white cross right behind the two beards yeah and you know yeah. interesting yeah, you sure can. Yeah. interestingly enough like when they use these for summoning and use these for protection magic and sigil magic you know that point within that inside there is the point of you know crossover like a crossover point between light and darkness and yeah. and this is like the center point of that there's a lot to this symbol it's, it's amazing i've never really looked at it as close as i am now yeah and uh yeah it is phenomenal and what it represents is to them their goal for every child of God to become apostate. That's what Satan wants. And the whole basis of Freemasonry is built around the legend of Solomon, the rebuilding of Solomon's temple. And everything in the occult lore, and we're going to talk more about some of the literature that came from Solomon that it's a huge figure. This is a big deal to the people on the dark side. And the whole foundation of the theory of Freemasonry goes back to Solomon's temple. So we've got something here we really need to, to take a look at. And, of course, Scripture is going to tell us what we need to know. Now, in 1 Samuel, chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 12, 24 and 25, we read, and it says, And David comforted comforted Bathsheba his wife 
and went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now, this is interesting, and I don't know all why, but Solomon, it means beloved of the Lord. And uh, no, Solomon, it's in the Hebrew, it's 8010. Solomon means peaceful, peaceful. That's what the word Solomon means. And I don't know why Nathan the prophet, you know, uh, Bathsheba and David named Solomon. And then Nathan added another name in. I don't know why. But Nathan the prophet put the name Jedidiah. It's the Hebrew word 3041. It means beloved of Yah. He was the beloved of Yah, a very blessed name. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1, here is the other blessed name of Solomon, Solomon, Jedidiah, and Ecclesiastes 1 and 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And the word translated preacher there is the word Kohaleth. And this was the third good name of Solomon. We have Solomon, Jedidiah, and Kohaleth. They are three words and three names of blessing. These would correspond to the a kindly white face in the top of the, the sigil and the three white points on the triangle. Now, in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 1, the words of Agur, the son of Jakah, even the prophecy the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel, and you call. Now, this word Agur, it means gathered and in thomas coke's commentary and i check of course me i check everything and uh you know i didn't rest just on mr bullinger's assumption that there were six names i did a lot of looking and got a lot of confirmation of a lot of scholars that yeah there is six names here and thomas coke who was a co-worker with um john wesley george whitfield first published this commentary in london in 1802 I like it. But it says, Brother Coke said, the generality of the fathers and ancient commentators will have it that Solomon describes himself under the name Agur, the son of Jakah. Now, why did Solomon describe himself like that? And what exactly do these names mean? Now, the word Agur, it's the Hebrew word, number 94, and it means gathered. It means to gather. Now, why would Solomon refer to himself as gathered? And it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. So why is the Holy Spirit here calling Solomon a Gur, the son of Jakah? Now, in 2 Kings chapter 11, and verse 3, the gatherer is a pretty good word for Solomon because he gathered a bunch of stuff. Uh, and First Kings 11 and 3, it said, And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. That's gathering. And I fear that... Uh, then is now, you know, the, the kings and Solomon became a very evil king. If the king wanted a, the oriental potentate, wanted a woman in his harem, they just took him and put him in, and that was their life from then on. Many people today, young girls and boys that are abducted, uh, they wind up in some overseas harem or bordello, who knows where. And uh, this is just evil. It's, it's really, really evil. And if we think about what a big deal this was, um, the biblical illustrator gives us just a little context here. It says, uh, Solomon had come to the throne of the most important kingdom then on the earth at the youthful age of 20, proud of his sublime eminence and flattered by 
obsquacious attentions of foreign nations, he formed matrimonial alliances with the royal families of them, all until a harem of 700 wives disgraced the holy city. These heathen wives required their heathen chapels and chaplains, and the complaint, complacent king surrounded Jerusalem with temples for the enactment of pagan idolatries. And what, what I think about is how could he get away with it? This was David's son. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, how could he get away with putting an oriental harem of that size right in Jerusalem? But he did. And this, I believe, involves witchcraft. It, it involves casting a spell over people. It's just like in America. How can they get away with the things they're publicly doing? The open child trafficking across the border, the exploitation and recruitment of children. How can it happen? And so many people turn a blind eye and approve of it. The same thing happened in Jerusalem. How many of these young girls came from just absolute kidnapping and abduction? We'll never know. But you can bet that a good part of them was. In 2 Kings 23 and 13, it says, In the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had builded for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Zidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile. Now, you can still see on, on a lot of the maps of Jerusalem from the time of Solomon, you can see to the, to the east on the Temple Mount, it still will have a place called the Mount of Corruption because this is the place, just like the other text, Solomon brought in, uh, he married Pharaoh's daughter, and he brought in these 700 women into his harem, and I mean, all kinds of women that worshipped all kinds of gods, and like the, the, the other comment said, in with it, they came their chapels, their chaplains, and their altars, and their gods, and the comment here from the uh, preacher's homiletical commentary, it says, it's the hilly range on the east of Jerusalem called the Mount of Olives has three summits whose central or southernmost peak is named the Mount of Corruption from the idol temples there reared by Solomon. So this is a kind of a picture of what happened when Solomon began to gather. He gathered in these wives, and he literally turned, put a huge harem there, and right on the Temple Mount, there were multiple temples built to these pagan gods. And the custom was, of these these women that worship these gods that the firstborn child would be sacrificed to the deity so i am just certain that there was human sacrifice involved with this there absolutely had to have been now it's amazing too david the, the, just just to add something real quickly the yeah fact go right that, ahead the, please you know the fact that women have always been used and i'm not trying to degrade women by any means uh but they've always been used for the destruction of countries and, and we look at the time of Balaam right you look at um, the secrets that Balaam taught Balak against the people of Israel because the Israel was growing so big they were blessed and he couldn't curse them so he said you know look send in women send in prostitutes send in all of these things and this will allow God to curse his people um, anyway like he'll curse them you don't have to even worry about me cursing them God will curse them for you and you see Solomon kind of playing in the same trap, and you, you've even seen Adam at the beginning playing into this trap, you know, falling for the the uh, allure of the woman. And and a lot of women, Christian women, don't understand this, and there's a principle in this that I'm trying to get at real quick, that that men um, are drawn to the look of women, right? This is a real thing, and that's why I think as, as people, women that are out there that are trying to be responsible and, and help the cause of mankind, help the cause of of people, you know, being being um, aware, I guess you could say that, you know, using that as a weapon against a man to defile him is is, in my opinion, a very low blow that uh, they could take. You know, and Solomon had to deal with that times 
a thousand. He could get any woman that he desired because he had everything, right? So, like, to, to be in that situation is just un, unreal first off. And, and it looks like he literally just was such a slave to his lust that there was nothing that could be um, done within that manner. It's crazy to me just to just to analyze that, that for a second, you know? Yeah. And when you think about the... Uh, you know, I think we could say there's nothing more powerful as a tool of Satan than a wicked woman that will use her sexuality to get what she wants. And there's nothing more powerful for the kingdom of God than a godly woman that will stand in the family and stand for the kingdom. And uh, this, the whole Canaanite ritual worship was based upon the, the basically what they would say that if you do not go and put your seed within the temple prostitute that you won't get rain from Baal the storm guy and they got they got a lot of volunteers for that program that worked a lot uh, this was a very powerful thing they used that sexual promiscuity to be a thorn in the side of the Israel of God for years and it certainly worked with Solomon, and it worked with David to a point. It's interesting too, because Solomon is the the seed of that lustful desire that caused Saul, David to really, you know, to lose his other child, right, and to lose. Yeah. So it's it, that sin nature just passed on to him and magnified within him, yeah. you know, for the lust. Yeah, we could call that a sexual iniquity. Yeah. That passed from David to Solomon. And the other name here, Agur, the gatherer, the son of Jakah. And that word means the blameless one. Now Solomon was called the son of the blameless one. And of course, his father was David. And David certainly, in the, the totality of it, was not blameless but we find in Scripture in 1 Samuel 13, 14, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commandeth thee. And David, even though he sinned, he didn't stay in it. Solomon sinned and he stayed in it. He went totally bad. He went as totally deep in as anyone could ever go. We're going to show he went entirely not just into sexual sin, but into the black arts. And Psalm 51 7, he was the son of Jakah. David fell. He looked at the same, uh, he looked upon Bathsheba and lusted after her and sinned sexually. But Psalm 51 was the psalm he wrote upon his repentance. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And David penned the 103rd Psalm, and in the 12th verse, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Yes, David lusted. After Bathsheba, yes, David took her. Yes, David sent Uriah, her husband, into the battle to be killed. But he thoroughly repented before God, and he was called the blameless one. We ought to all say amen right there. We serve the God that can forgive our sins when we repent, and he can declare us justified and blameless. And this is the Holy Spirit, uh, you know. Uh, a girl, you gatherer, you're the son of Jakah. Your father fell, but he repented. He's the blameless one because he sought forgiveness from God and the Lord covered his sins with his grace. Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 30. Now let's read the next two verses after this. Now, the words of a girl, the gatherer, the son of Jakah, David, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel, and you call. Now listen to what Solomon says here. Surely 
I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. Right here, Solomon is saying in his own words, I have stepped in it. I'm worse, I, I'm worse than a human being. I'm an animal. I do not have the knowledge of God. Everything that he, he is admitting right here, his apostasy, and he's being rebuked by the Holy Spirit with these names that are being attached to him. Now, in Hebrews chapter 6, it's the New Testament text on the apostate. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and had tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put to him and put him to an open shame. And I think this is what Scripture is showing us is that Solomon is the poster boy of apostates. He's the poster boy. And he became the very foundation of all the structure of evil, whether it be Freemasonry based upon Solomon's temple and all of the black magical workings go right back to this man right here. And let's just ask yourself, could this be called tasting of the powers of the world to come? In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast shewed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And as the text goes on, it tells the story of how Solomon asked for wisdom and that God granted him wisdom above all people on earth. And it says more than anyone that had ever had. And it's amazing to me, I think this could qualify as tasting of the powers of the world to come. Apostasy is going so far that you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. David did a terrible sin, but yet he did not blaspheme and he come back. The Holy Spirit is reaching out. You know, the Bible says that God is married to the backslider and he is calling out in grace and mercy for people to return to him, just like David did. And Satan is there trying to tell you, well, you know, you've blown it once. You might as well go whole hog your mind anyway. And he succeeded with Solomon. He did not succeed with David. That is why scripture addresses him as the gatherer, the son of Jacob, the blameless one. Uh, but then Saul, it's amazing. Right there he admits it. I don't have the wisdom of God. But I'm, I'm worse than an animal. And indeed he was. It's amazing too. You know, he used that and wisdom that he had to. And I believe, I, I truly believe, you know, the more you look at the, the magic rituals and all these different things that people use, like, he that wisdom that God gave him gave him the power to command demons in some way, shape, or form. You know, yeah. And, and um, I don't know, you know, all the details. Of course, nobody really does. But um, to, for him to use that, he 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 basically became the king of king of Jerusalem and the prince of wizards in those moments. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, like you said, you see it through Freemasonry. The stories of Freemasonry. It's yeah. just it's amazing. Yeah. And he was literally a man that God blessed him with wisdom among anyone that had ever existed before. Yeah. He used this man to write Holy Scripture. And yet he went so bad that Satan used him to write some of the darkest writings uh, that have ever been produced in the realm of black magic. Now, in Proverbs 31 and 1, this is the third name that is the a name of cursing unto Solomon. It corresponds to the three black points on Eliphaz Levi's seal of Solomon. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Now, who was Solomon's mother? It was Bathsheba. Now, if we would ask, uh, if you would name uh, 
some of the names of the people that wrote the Bible. Of course, we would think of Moses and John and Paul, but not many people would think of Bathsheba. But Proverbs 31 is written by Bathsheba. The Proverbs 31 woman is Bathsheba. And it shows the grace of God. Just like Bathsheba repented and found the grace of God and become a Proverbs 31 woman, David repented and come back to God with all of his heart. This shows the balance here. Now, this, and I'll read a note here from John Wesley's comment on this, and uh, I found just the best and the brightest agreeing here on these six names of Solomon. But it says here, John Wesley, in his notes on the Old Testament, Lemuel of Solomon, by the general consent, both of Jewish and Christian writers, this name signifies one from God or belonging to God. And such an one was Solomon eminently being given by God to David and Bathsheba as a pledge of his reconciliation to them after their repentance. Now, let's ask ourselves the question. Here his mother is coming in, and there is the Strong's meaning of Lemuel. It means belonging to God. And there, noticed at the bottom, it says, he, see Hebrew L. Now, uh, why would his mother come in and instead of calling him by his name Solomon, call him by the name Lemuel? Well, let's look at the handbook of gods and goddesses of the ancient Near East and the word L. And it means, and literally Lemuel, it means belonging to El, which was the word for God. But I believe that his mother called him Lemuel instead of Solomon to jar him. Yeah, you belong to God, but what God are you belonging to? Who's got your little self? You know, mama knows what little boy's been doing. Now, in this book, it says El. The word El is the common noun in most Semitic languages for God. At Ugarit, El was the chief god of the pantheon and head of the assembly of the gods. And I believe this is exactly what Bathsheba was doing. Lemuel, oh, yeah, are, are you serving God or are you serving Satan? And he was literally here, I think, right as this portion of the Proverbs was being written. I think this is when Solomon lost it all. He totally stepped in it, and he went from writing inspired scripture to saying, I'm worse, than a, I'm worse than an animal. I'm not a human being. I'm an animal. I don't have any wisdom or any knowledge of God. I have totally stepped in it, and I have totally blown it. It goes on in this text to say, his most usual epitaph was bull, probably a reference to his strength sexual potency and responsibility for fertility and i think this is exactly what his mother is doing trying to shake him up now we read this a couple weeks ago in a lesson and bathsheba called him lemuel literally belonging to l and there the symbol of l was the bull now we saw this in 1 Kings 10.19 from the Septuagint. This is the description of Solomon's throne with six steps. And ye have this day rejected God, who in him is himself your deliverer out of all your evils and afflictions. And ye said, Nay, but thou shalt set a king over us. And this is not the right scripture. Okay. Which one do you need, David? Well, I broke down 1 Kings 19. Okay, that's not the right what one. What is the reference that and I can Well, look it it's up. the one about the calf uh, being around his stone. We read it the other week, and we've just pulled out the wrong scripture. It's in the Septuagint. It might be verse 18 or verse 20. I know we're close here. Um, okay, so I see in the in a different translation here, it talks about the throne was a calf's head, and that was in the... Septuagint. And this is in the GW 
translation. Okay. And um, I, maybe I just copied the wrong verse there, David. It might. Be okay. My, well, anyway, it might be my fault. In the Septuagint, in the Brenton Septuagint, anyway, we read this just a couple weeks ago. But according to the Septuagint, there was a calf behind Solomon's throne. Now, Lemuel, belonging to El, his mother called him. The symbol of El was the bull. I think this is just exactly all of the boxes checking here. Now, I want to read a story uh, from McClintock and Strong. And it talks about this event. And this comes from a rabbinic legend. I don't know whether it's true or not. This really has the ring of truth to it. But as in all things that come from legends, especially rabbinic legends, you have to really, really be careful. But this has a real ring of truth to it to me. It says here, the rabbinical commentators identify Lemuel with Solomon and tell a strange tale that when he married the daughter of Pharaoh on the day of the dedication of the temple, he assembled, he assembled musicians of all kinds and passed the night awake. On the morrow, he slept till the fourth hour with the keys of the temple beneath his pillow when his mother entered and upbraided him in these words. And that would really seem fitting that his mother Bathsheba after he had more married totally against Torah, he married the daughter of Pharaoh, that Bathsheba, who had found the way back to the Lord through repentance, would come in and rebuke her son and call. And then, oh, Lemuel, you know, Lemuel, what's going on? And look at the rest of the words of Bathsheba here that uh, she spoke to her son on this occasion. Oh, sorry. In Proverbs 31, give not thy strength unto women. Now that sounds like something Bathsheba would say to her son, wouldn't it? Give not thy strength unto women. How appropriate is that? Nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink, O you with the caffy behind your throne lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. This was his mother, Bathsheba, coming to rebuke her son, which she called Lemuel, who was once the beloved of God, who was once beloved of Yah, but now he belonged to El, totally gone, totally apostate. Now, we're going to think about something else here. In 1 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, and Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all nations round about. And he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And we know that Solomon was a writer and he wrote a lot of things. We don't have 3,000 of Solomon's Proverbs. What I want to ask is where are the books? What happened to all of the other writings that Solomon wrote? Because we know from Scripture that there are a lot of them. Now, there are some very interesting references in Scripture to non-canonical books that we can't find anymore that were associated with Solomon. And here's one of them. In 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 41, and the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? Well, there's a book that we don't have, the books of the acts of Solomon. And another book we see mentioned here in, uh, in the scripture, in Second Chronicles 
chapter 9 and verse 29. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan the prophet and in the prophecy of Ahijah the Shihonite and in the visions of Idol the seer against Jeroboam the son of the bat? Now the way it prophesies that, it says the Acts of Solomon from the first to the last it sounds like there was someone, and Nathan the prophet was the godly prophet. He was the prophet that came to David when he was unrepentant of his sin with Bathsheba and said, Behold, thou art the man. You know, you are the man. David called, uh, uh, was called to repentance by Nathan the prophet. So there's books out there that aren't that really tell the whole story you know we can pretty much see the whole story but there were books written that really tell the whole story that uh, who knows but what we might even learn more someday but it's very interesting in proverbs chapter 25 and verse 1 these are also proverbs of solomon which the men of hezekiah king of judah copied out hezekiah was over 200 years after solomon and hezekiah was a godly king and by the direction of the holy spirit his scribes went and preserved proverbs that we see here in proverbs 25 that were written by solomon when he was still under the inspiration of the holy ghost writing scripture and you know this is what um many and many people ask this question and boy i get it they say you know how in the world uh you know can we trust what solomon wrote in the book of proverbs and absolutely we can i mean it was written and preserved under the inspiration of the holy spirit and the whole story of solomon is written and preserved for us to show that there is grace from God to everyone that will turn from sin, even heinous sin, and that there is also judgment and even loss of our soul for those that will not repent, but will keep on going in the ways of their sin and their apostasy. Now, something here that is really interesting to me, um, and I've even found references that talked about how that a lot of Solomon's writings about nature and animals and plants that they actually found their way into the writings of Aristotle. And it says here in Jones Dictionary of Bible Names, a very, very credible work, and it says here, all his other works, his 3,000 proverbs and his physical books have perished, though some affirm that the last were translated into the works of Aristotle and Theophrastus. Eusebius says that Hezekiah suppressed them. There were writings that were known in Israel 200 years after Solomon that the good king Hezekiah suppressed. He went in and his scribes took the godly proverbs out of Solomon's writing they were preserved in the book of Proverbs, and at the same time, there were writings that were suppressed, and there were others of his writings that found themselves into Aristotle, who was one of the supposed, Herod is one of the greatest of the Greek philosophers. But look, let's just put this together in the scripture, and let's look. And well, here, here is the book that has the three magical books of Solomon. These are three bad boys. And it's the Testament of Solomon. And we've read from the Testament of Solomon several times. And every time I do, I preface it with the fact that this is a very, very dark demonic book. And in this book, as John referenced, it talks about Solomon controlling devils with his ring. Uh, and boy, there we go, the ring lords. But he, he had his ring and he was able to command these devils to do building projects for him. We talked about his temple that he built, uh, his house that he built in Baca, which was, uh, according to McClintock and Strong, this was the area of Baalbek, which would be very fitting, wouldn't it? But the, uh, the Testament of Solomon 
and the greater and lesser keys of Solomon. And it says here that, and look at the bottom, Aleister Crowley and S.L. McGregor Mathers, who was with Crowley in the Golden Dawn, these are the translators of these magical works of Solomon. This forms the very foundation of black magic. This forms the very foundation of Satanism. This is zero, one oh, ground level zero, evil 101. And it's interesting that when Crowley and Mathers were in the Golden Dawn together, they got in a black magic war. And Crowley uh, actually did a ritual, and Mathers was like an English gentleman. He had a bunch of hunting dogs, and Crowley, Mathers claims that Crowley killed a gaggle of his hunting dogs with a black magic ritual, and it scared Mathers so much that he basically said, you're the man. <laughs> I mess with you. You're the man. It's interesting, David, You and this is, you mentioned, uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings and Ring Lords written by Lawrence Gardner. Gardner now in the in the Lord of the Rings movie and I haven't read the books and nor am I a, a expert on Lord of the Rings but I can recognize their story and where it came from now they had this one ring to rule them all and interestingly enough the wizard in control of this army and this ring was named Saruman Woo. That's pretty interesting huh Yeah <laughs> Yeah I mean you can see this run through everything I yeah. mean this thread this is getting down to the uh, square one of uh, what the devil's doing. And, you know, the as Solomon was the poster boy for apostasy, he wants to take every child of God's soul. There's nothing any greater to him than to have someone that once loved the Lord to totally apostatize. Now, let's put this together with what we understand that, in the days of Hezekiah, uh, there was the bringing out of the good text of the writings of Solomon, and there was also the suppression of the bad. Let's just read Proverbs 25, 1 and 2 in this light. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of of kings is to search out a matter and I believe this speaks right to the fact of that which King Hezekiah did when he searched out that which was godly and of the Holy Spirit in the writings of Solomon to put in Holy Scripture and to conceal those things that were totally dark and suppressed just like Eusebius church history said that there was a suppression of these writings. And the great lesson that we get from this, and it's a very serious one, that people can know the Lord and they can even know the powers of the world to come and they can totally apostatize to the point of losing their soul. And also that people can sin and they can sin grievously. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, sent Bathsheba's husband into the heat of the battle to be killed. Yet he was Jakah, blameless, because he repented and had his sins cast as far as the east is from the west. Bathsheba, who used her beauty to cause the king to fall, she became the Proverbs 31 woman. And if you read the rest of Proverbs 31, you see in Proverbs 31, Bathsheba calling Solomon Lemuel and rebuking him and trying to shake him up. And I believe I could really see it happening on the very day of his marrying Pharaoh's daughter that his mother came in and tried to shake him up and talk to him about letting women lead him astray and about forgetting the law of God, which it just tr strictly forbids what he just did. But what basically Bathsheba was saying is, you know, Solomon, look at your little self. You know, you're there with this Egyptian belly dancer, Pharaoh's daughter. Why don't you get you a woman like this in Proverbs 31? Why didn't you find yourself a good Jewish girl? 
That's that Proverbs 31 woman. And now there are Proverbs 31 women. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish. It matters whether you love the Lord and you want to serve him. And just like we said before, there's nothing more destructive than a woman that will use her beauty as a matter of seduction. And there's nothing more powerful for the Lord than a woman that will be that Proverbs 31 woman and stand where the Lord will have them to stand. And that's the great message for us. If you're living in sin, if you've backslid, come home to Jesus. He's ready to forgive and receive you back. And uh, his arms are, are open wide. Amen to that, David. Such a powerful lesson. There are several lessons in all of that that are just something that we can take. Even from Solomon's downfall, we can take lessons from that and wisdom oh, yeah. from that in a way that's just overwhelming. And um, it's uh, one of the biggest lessons, like you said there at the end, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman versus the woman who will lead to destruction. And it's so true. And just in my lifetime, I'm 40 years old, you know, I've uh, lived a worldly life and I've lived a godly life. And um, I can say that a woman can destroy you or a woman can really uplift you and empower you. And it's just an amazing um, ability and power that women have. And to see a godly woman who is willing to uplift a man and to be able to um, bless him rather than curse him is just an amazing thing. For all you women out there that are those kind of women, we salute you. And yes. uh, that, that's awesome. Salute, yeah. Sister Donna. Salute. Bless Thanks. your heart. And, you know, you think about it. The way the world is, and I did the same thing when I was growing up. I went into, it, just like our society's geared for that, it's just made for young people to just go into everything they shouldn't. And so many women that have fallen into things, maybe you've had an abortion. I don't know. Uh, you've went into a life of sin and promiscuity, and this gives us all kinds of guilt and shame. But just think of Bathsheba. Think of Bathsheba. She is the Proverbs 31 woman, Bathsheba. This is the grace and the power of God. And David, Solomon, one of the names, you're the son of Jakai. You're the son of the blameless one. Even with all the sin that David did when he truly repented, he was the blameless one before the father. That's such that there's power there that is beyond our comprehension and the love and the grace of God. And it will also put the fear of God in us, the great danger that we do have an intelligent adversary that wars against our soul that wants to take it to be his for all eternity. Yep. Well, with that being said, David, I think it is time for the Pounder's Pound. This is where we all pound the like button together at the same exact time. David counts us down, and then if you guys hit the like button, enough of you hit it, then you know something usually happens. So let's see. See if we can make this happen, David. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Boom. Oh, man, it it, it didn't work. Oh, well, we'll not do it again. Hey, we'll it. Just, not enough people hit it. We'll just hammer it again. Come right, on now. You know you liked it. So come on now. Let's get with the program. One, two, three. Boom. There it is. There it is. Now we got it. Thank you guys so much for liking that and for enjoying the show and being with us and we we just for all of you that support what we do we couldn't say enough good things about you we're so thankful and grateful and um we can't wait to see you guys next time so with that being said david end us out all right and as always we are thankful to the lord every time we get to preach the gospel on whatever venue the lord allows us to preach it on and every time we thank the lord for the the listeners that support us and you're, you're praying for us. We couldn't do what we do without your prayers. Thank you so much from the bottom of our heart for supporting the midnight ride. And now you see TV. So with that until next Saturday night, 10 PM central high five and good night, everybody from the midnight ride. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up, rise up, rise up.